0: Welcome to the first in a series of Faith to Action Initiative webinars designed to share principles and strategies in family and community-based care. I'm Sarah Gazarek, Coordinator for the Initiative. The Faith to Action Initiative serves as a resource for Christian groups, churches, and individuals seeking to respond to the needs of orphans and vulnerable children in Africa and around the world. We believe that children grow best in the love and care of families, and our mission is part of a growing global movement within the Christian church to strengthen family-based care and help children remain in families. We offer practical tools and resources and up-to-date information on key strategies and research through our website, publications, conference workshops, and webinars. This webinar is the first in a series that will focus on strengthening and supporting family care for orphans and vulnerable children. We will hear first from Carrie Olson and then Kelly Bunkers. Carrie serves as chair of the Faith to Action Initiative, which she helped to launch in 2006. She is the founder and president emeritus of the Firelight Foundation, a public charity foundation that supports and advocates for the needs and rights of children and families made vulnerable by poverty and HIV AIDS in sub-Saharan Africa. Carrie holds a Ph.D. in developmental psychology and education from the University of Michigan. Following her presentation, we will hear from Kelly Bunkers. Kelly is an international child rights and social welfare consultant with 20 years of experience working in Eastern Europe, Latin America, and East Africa. Her work with non-governmental organizations, private foundations, and government ministries has focused on systems development, including social welfare workforce issues, legal, and policy frameworks supportive of children's rights and alternative care programming for children outside of parental care. Whether directly providing care in our own communities or partnering with groups overseas to support orphan care ministries and programs, Christians around the world are rising to the biblical call to respond to the needs of the orphaned and vulnerable. Globally, the need is great, and there is no one right answer for every situation, There is, however, a growing body of research and evidence based lessons learned to help guide this faith inspired work. That's our hope and prayer today that the information provided in this webinar will support the work and ministries of those seeking the best ways to care for children separated from parental care. This webinar will highlight global estimates and key facts of orphans and children living in orphanages, a range of reasons children are placed in orphanages the consequences of long-term institutional care, and how we can strive to support care for children in the
1: context of family. First, let's hear from Carrie Olson. Thank you, Sarah. Let's start by looking at some global orphan statistics. 153 million children worldwide have lost a mother or a father. Of these, 18 million children have lost both parents. Children who've lost one parent are sometimes referred to as single orphans, and those who've lost both are referred to as double orphans. 153 million is an overwhelming number, but one of the things that many people don't realize is that most of these children are living with their surviving parents, their grandparents, or other extended family members. Global and even regional estimates of the children residing in orphanages vary widely. Depending on the source, estimates can be as high as 8 million. UNICEF conservatively estimates that at least 2.2 million children in the world live in orphanages. This estimate is widely regarded to be a low estimate, since many orphanages around the world are not registered and the children living in them are not counted. Both global and regional studies tell us that the majority of orphanages that exist today are larger in scale. This means that most children living in formal residential care are in large institutional facilities rather than smaller family-style group homes. For example, a study in Rwanda found that 28 out of 30 orphanages had between 16 and 566 children within their care, We also know that the number of children in orphanages is rising. Even though there is growing awareness about the importance of family care and the limitations of orphanages, and even though both global guidance and many country policies recommend and mandate scaling down institutional care, the last decade has seen a big increase in the number of children living in orphanages. For example, Cambodia saw a 75% increase in the number of orphanages over a five-year period, resulting in 269 orphanages housing nearly 12,000 children by 2010. In Uganda, the number of orphanages went from 30 in 1992 to over 800 in 2013. Very often when we think of children living in orphanages, we think of children who have no families. Orphan, orphanage. But one of the sad truths is that most children, not all, but most, most children in orphanages have families. And in many cases, they've been placed there by family members who for one reason or another have determined that they're unable to provide for their children's care. The percentages you see here on the screen correspond to the percentages of children in different regions of the world living in orphanages who have family members, a surviving parent, a grandparent, an older sibling, or aunt and uncle, for example, who could care for them if they were provided with the support they needed in order to do so. So what this tells us is, The number of children placed in orphanages due to double orphanhood is much smaller than we would guess. So this brings us to a question. Why would family members place their child in an orphanage? I've touched on this, but let's take a closer look. There are many reasons, but the overwhelming answer is poverty. Parents, grandparents, and other extended family members place children in orphanages because it's a way to meet some of their most basic needs. My daughter is grown and married now, but I remember when I first realized that as her mother, when she was little, if the only way I felt that I could provide her with access to food, shelter, and an education was to place her in an orphanage, what kind of a heartbreaking choice is that? It's this realization that led me to want to become more engaged in this work and to learn more about how we could help support family care for orphans and vulnerable children. Parents and community members may be under the impression that an orphanage is beneficial to a child because it fulfills some of their basic needs. However, what they might not realize are the detrimental effects this life-altering decision can have on a child's social, emotional, and cognitive development. There is what we sometimes refer to as a pull factor and that orphanages can offer access to things that a parent or family member wants for his or her child. But an orphanage cannot replace family when it comes to a child's sense of belonging and being loved as a son or daughter, a grandson or a granddaughter. It's distressing to realize that in some regions of the world, orphanage staff actively encourage and solicit parents and families living in poverty to place their children in formal residential care. In Malawi, for example, one study revealed that 50% of the orphanages have reported that they directly recruited children who were already living in family care, just in this way, with orphanage staff or caseworkers going out into the community and describing what the orphanages had to offer. At the community level, there is this notion that if you build it, they will come. Once an orphanage is built, and especially when family strengthening services are not in place to help prevent children from being separated from their parents, the orphanage can become the answer. And there's anecdotal evidence that suggests that when this happens, the community may be less likely to proactively come together to look at other more family-based ways to meet the needs of orphans and vulnerable children. We know that poverty is a leading cause of children entering orphanages, but it's not the only cause. Other causes include parental illness and death, abandonment, abuse and neglect, natural disasters and emergencies such as a tsunami, disability and special needs. Poverty impacts all of these things so that it increases the possibility that any one of them can lead to separation. But in and of themselves, each one of these is also a factor in the separation of children from parental care. In Central and Eastern Europe, one-third of the children in orphanages are there because of disability. In many places around the world, cultural beliefs, persistent discrimination, and lack of special needs information and services lead to abandonment and placement in orphanages. When we consider the range of things that can separate children from parental care, we can see that just as there is no one overarching cause, there is also no one right answer. Services and strategies that strengthen families and address the root causes that put children at risk of separation help to ensure that many more children are able to remain with their loved ones or can at least transition back to them after receiving short-term rehabilitative care that assesses and addresses their needs. Things like home-based health care and access to life-saving medications for parents as well as children, mental health services and spiritual support, programs that strengthen family livelihoods, offer material support, and provide access to education and special needs services, These and other services and ministries help strengthen the family's capacity to meet their children's needs and help prevent unnecessary placement of children in orphanages. Local communities, government, and the church, both local church and global church, each have a vital role to play. The sad reality is that there will always be children who are in need of alternative care because they're not able to remain in their families. For children who are separated from their parents and cannot be reunified, alternative family care, such as kinship care, foster care, or adoption, are often the next best options. It's also important to recognize that high-quality residential care is sometimes needed. Ideally, formal residential care is a temporary measure that addresses immediate needs and transitions the child back into some form of reliable family care. When this isn't possible, then small group homes are far preferable to large-scale institutional care. It's so vital that we recognize the importance of family in the life of a child and seek to protect that. In general, orphanages separate children from family care, and we know that children grow best in families. Children need the love, sense of belonging, experience of family, and connection to community that family care can provide. And yet too often, our response has been to build another orphanage. A growing body of research over the last several decades affirms the role of family in supporting a child's development into a healthy adulthood and demonstrates some of the limitations associated with formal residential care. And here to talk about that is Kelly Bunkers, International Child Protection Consultant. So at this point, I'd like to welcome Kelly, who's calling in all the way from Nairobi to join us. Kelly, thank you so much for your commitment to children and for being here today.
2: Thank you, Carrie, for that very interesting information. Now, estimates throughout the world have demonstrated that supporting a child in an orphanage is five to ten times higher than supporting a child's basic needs in family care. We have robust cost comparisons of family care versus orphanages that have been done in many regions of the world. In Romania, for example, the World Bank calculated that professional foster care costs $91 per month per child compared to upwards of $280 per month for child for the cost of care in an orphanage. Similarly, a study in South Africa found orphanages to be up to six times more expensive than providing care for children living in vulnerable families and four times more expensive than foster care or statutory adoption. However, counting the cost not only about dollars spent, studies show that living in an orphanage, especially for a long time or at a young age, has other costs that greatly impact children. In seminal studies, children raised in biological, foster, and adoptive families demonstrate better developmental outcomes overall compared to children living in orphanages. Even in small-scale orphanages, there can still be negative consequences to children's development. For example, in a series of longitudinal studies of children in orphanages in Britain, high-quality food, shelter, and medical attention were provided to children. There was positive child-to-caregiver ratios. However, children experienced multiple caregivers. Despite the high quality of care provided, children were found to have identifiable negative effects on their social development. What this research shows is that the quality of material components of care, such as food or the building itself, is not nearly as important as consistent and responsive child-caregiver interaction, especially in the early years. We know that orphanages impact the cognitive development of children. Studies over many years and in many different contexts have shown that care in orphanages can and does result in cognitive delays, challenges to executive functioning, and even learning difficulties. Children raised in large-scale orphanages also have pervasive growth problems including stunting or what we know as severe growth delay, impairments in fine and gross motor skills, and poor coordination. Evidence from Eastern Europe has shown us that children leave large-scale orphanages with more disabilities than enter them, suggesting that orphanage care can actually cause disability in children. Orphanages are too frequently promoted as offering more in a material sense than some families are able to provide, without recognizing the vital role that emotional and social relationships play in children's development. It's the latter that we find within a family setting. As we all know, families and communities provide a sense of belonging and a lifelong connection to a community of people. Within families, children learn and participate in family, cultural, and even spiritual traditions. They have a sense of shared history, share similar faith practices, and learn important social skills that help them engage and interact as parents, as family members, and as important people within the community later in life. Other research has shown that children raised in neglectful situations show increased negative emotions, poor impulse control, and even reduced confidence and assertiveness and challenges with problem-solving tasks. As children grow older, those who are reared in orphanages are at increased risk for a variety of emotional difficulties, such as low self-esteem, poor confidence and diminished assertiveness. Now let's look a little more closely at some of the additional risk factors that are particularly associated with negative outcomes for children. Research over the last 30 years has demonstrated that positive interaction, such as what we see in this slide, between a child and a parent or other primary caregiver significantly impacts development of the brain. Children seek interaction with adults, especially in the early years, between birth and three years of age. We all know those of us who have been with babies, they babble, they search for eye contact, and they listen for voices of parents and people they know. The absence of this kind of warm, responsive, and reciprocal relationship between a child and an adult can and does result in damage to brain development. Scientists have found that the first three years of life are actually what we call a sensitive period when a child must receive intimate emotional and physical contact from others. If this is not present, then there is a high risk that the child's development will be significantly impaired. Failing to place a child in family-based care before the age of six months can have devastating consequences. In fact, as a rule of thumb, for every three months that a young child resides in an orphanage, they lose one month of development. A 2004 study based on survey results from more than 32 European countries and in-depth studies in nine of those countries considered that the risk of harm in terms of attachment disorder, developmental delay, and neural atrophy in the developing brain reached the conclusion that no child under three years of age should be placed in residential care without a parent or primary caregiver. Researchers looking at issues of neglect on children's development have defined it as such, deprivation or the absence of sufficient attention, responsiveness, and protection that are appropriate to the age and needs of a child. In the case of children in orphanages, we might define neglect as conditions with many children, few caregivers, and no individualized adult-child relationships that are reliably responsive and where basic survival needs may be met. But lack of individualized adult responsiveness can lead to severe impairments in cognitive, physical, and psychosocial development, such as those that we've mentioned earlier. Negative effects associated with orphanages are more severe the longer that a child remains in a large-scale orphanage, and they are most critical in younger children, especially those under three. As we know, daily life in most orphanage settings that house large numbers of children differ greatly from the schedules and routines that are learned through day-to-day life in a family. The larger the orphanage, the less likely it is that children receive care from a consistent, known caregiver and one that focuses on the child's individualized needs. Typically, children will be group-fed on a schedule rather than on demand. Diapers are changed on a schedule, not as needed, and less attention will be paid to the child's individual growth, social and emotional development. Poor quality care and a lack of individualized stimulation can lead not only to health and development problems, but to isolation and a lack of identity. Now what we've seen around the world is that residential care is used too often as a first resort response without consideration for or investment in family care options. Much too often, children are placed in care without proper planning, and unfortunately, they ultimately lose connection with their parents, with their extended family, with their community, and even with their culture, without any hope of reintegration. Review procedures or decision-making processes are often absent when it comes to determining whether orphanage placement is absolutely necessary and appropriate for the child in question. We call this review process gatekeeping. Gatekeeping is a critical factor in any child protection or child welfare system and is still very underdeveloped in many parts of the world. Gatekeeping can occur within the orphanage, led by managers and social work staff, or under the supervision of local authorities. It can also be a statutory function of a government body mandated with child welfare and protection and can include community participation. Ideally, both of these methodologies should be in place to ensure proper assessment and review by the responsible authorities. We have several examples where gatekeeping mechanisms have been piloted such as in Rwanda, where new child care networks at the community level are involving community leaders and social workers in the decision-making process. Gatekeeping mechanisms should determine that there are no viable family care options available for the child before placing him or her in an orphanage. And when placement in an orphanage does occur, it should be temporary, temporary, and or rehabilitative in nature, with every effort being made to transition the child to a family-based care option. And too frequently, when children are placed in care without proper planning, they ultimately lose connection with parents, extended family, and community. What we want is a system in place that protects children, that looks for every family-based option possible and that ensures that an individualized case plan is in place for each child. Now, we've talked about the risks associated with very young children placed in orphanages. Now, let's consider the risks at the other end of the spectrum, those older children or youth who spend long periods of time, sometimes their whole childhood, in formal residential care, and what this means for what their lives will be like once they age out of care. When children are in families, they don't age out of care. They remain connected to their parents for their whole lives. They have siblings, and they have relationships with community members, a sense of social support. This is rarely the case with children living in orphanages. Orphanages whose operation supports long-term, not temporary care can inhibit reintegration into the family or into the community. At a minimum, every child in an orphanage should have an individualized case plan minimizing the time spent in an orphanage and one that facilitates eventual integration into a family. Unfortunately, what we found is that in too many cases this is not in place. In Malawi, for example, Studies showed that only 9% of more than 6,000 children in care had a case plan, and only one-third or 2,000 out of 6,000 children reported being visited by a relative. Approximately 30% of all Rwandan children in orphanages have been in care for more than 10 years, and 13.6% of children 452 individual children spent more than 15 years in an orphanage, essentially their entire childhood. Examples of deinstitutionalization efforts have shown that a minimum package of support is needed for the successful transition of children leaving orphanages back into families or into communities. This is true for children being reintegrated into families as well as for older caregivers who are moving into independent living situations. Support should include both material or financial assistance to the family or the youth as well as a preparation period to ensure that the child and the family are ready for reunification or that the youth is helped to be self-supporting and be able to live independently with success in the community. Trained social workers should facilitate a process that addresses the psychosocial needs of children and youth before, during, and after this process. When children reach a certain age, usually they must leave an orphanage. These youth, or care leavers, as they're frequently referred to, are often unprepared for independent life. This can result in unemployment, homelessness, conflict with the law, sexual exploitation, and poor parenting. And this requires increased expenses associated with health, education, and legal services. All of this may result, and frequently does, in longer-term costs to society. Children leaving residential care are frequently unprepared for independent life. And what one study found when looking at care leavers was that where care institutions are cut off from communities, children are prevented from developing social networks that are essential for later life. After years of following a structured routine in which children exercise little or no choice, they may not know how to navigate in an independent life. They may not know how to cook, how to handle money, or how to use their own initiative. They're especially vulnerable to exploitation and abuse, as they are less aware of their rights and they're accustomed to following instructions without question. One care from Ethiopia stated it clearly when he said he felt totally unprepared for life outside the orphanage. He thought it would be his home forever. Another study found that generally, care leavers are more likely to be dependent on the state and other service providers for their own well-being and survival, and less able to contribute to economic growth and social development.
1: Thanks so much, Kelly. We've looked at a number of risk factors associated with growing up in an orphanage, and at this point, I'd like to pause and come back to the point that while investing in family care is an essential priority and needs a lot more support, we want to acknowledge that there is still a need for formal residential care on the continuum of alternative care for children. Temporary, respite, or rehabilitative care, for example, can address critical needs for children in emergency situations or for children and families with special needs. Ideally, this type of care plays a role in offering respite care to address the needs of the child and the family with the intention of bringing the child back into parental care, or... It's serving a kind of gatekeeping role, as Kelly has touched on, where residential care becomes a way to evaluate and address needs of the child in the short term and then ultimately leads to placement and reliable alternative family care. Another option is the use of small group homes, where you have small numbers of children or youth living with consistent caregivers or house parents. It's more of a family-style home, usually in the community, not separate from the community, so that children still have those interactions. These are a better choice than large-scale institutions when family care is not an option. But even in those cases, it is so important that there is a priority and a consciousness around whenever possible transitioning children to family care, whether that be reunification with their parents or kinship or foster care or adoption. We'll take a closer look at the full range of alternative care for orphans and vulnerable children in our next webinar, as well as the important role of gatekeeping to prevent unnecessary placement in orphanages. An important message that we hope we can leave you with today is that even though formal residential care is sometimes needed, our helping can have unintended consequences for children and families when there is a lack of investment in and awareness of family-based alternatives. In many regions around the world, institutional care is still the norm, and it's so important that we learn more about the ways that as the church, the global church and local church, working with communities, we can better support families so that children aren't separated in the first place, and when they are, that they find their way back into family care where we know that children grow best. Even when we invest in better quality orphanages and smaller group homes, we can sometimes lose sight in our own desire to help of what is the best approach. And one of the things that's easy to lose sight of is the importance of supporting the day-to-day relationships in a child's life. There is a common practice, many of us are familiar with it, and it can be such an inspiring thing, to take a short-term mission trip to visit an orphanage for two or three weeks. Groups go, and they bond, and they love on those kids, and then they leave. It can be a great way for us to gain awareness, but think about it from the child's perspective, all those people coming in and out of their lives and not coming back. And think of it from the community perspective of those adults who are part of children's daily lives, They are the individuals who need to be the heroes in those children's lives. They are the ones that are there far beyond the two weeks that we visit. We need to be looking at ways of how we can recognize that and invest in that local community capacity, whether it be individuals working in residential care or those working to support family care. How can we best support their efforts and the children they serve? So, in summary, we've covered a lot of ground in this webinar. We've looked at orphan statistics, reasons that children are placed in orphanages, the fact that many children in orphanages are not orphans. Many children living in families are at risk for separation due to a variety of factors. The importance of family strengthening, the limitations associated with residential care and especially large institutional care long-term, or early placement. The topics are deep and complex, so in many ways, perhaps it feels as though we've just touched the surface. In our next webinar, we'll take a deeper dive into the continuum of care as we look at both alternative family and residential care options for children who have been separated from parental care. Our third webinar will look at some of the best strategies that churches, communities, and faith-based groups are using to support and strengthen family care for orphans and vulnerable children so that fewer children are unnecessarily placed in orphanages. I want to thank you for joining us today, and Sarah, I'll pass it on to you to wrap up. Thank you, Carrie.
0: On behalf of the Faith to Action Initiative and our guest speakers, Carrie Olson and Kelly Bunkers, thank you for joining us to view the presentation. If you would like to learn more about the topics we cover today or for links to helpful resources, please visit our website at www.faithtoaction.org. On our website, you will find free, downloadable resources such as our Summary of Research to Help Guide Faith-Based Action, our Journeys of Faith Study Guide, and From Faith to Action that has more information on the topics covered in this webinar. We'd love to have you connect with us and keep the conversation going beyond today's event, so please contact us through our website. May God continue to bless you in your service to children and families.